this is our smaller crowd, but it still feels full. Because of your jovial selves, your stomachs are food. My wife calls them food babies. Food babies. Well, did you all have a good Christmas, everybody? Yes. Yes? yes. Oh, we had a couple of family members that were sick. We, they couldn't join us, but other than that, it was, it was a good day. Good day. My 49ers lost. That wasn't good. That made me sick. I was sick. So they better learn whatever they need to learn by then. Yeah. And it's possible. We better do a lot of studies. A lot of studies. That's right. We have a couple guys that are hurt. Need to get new place. Yeah, new place. Come up with something new, guys. Yeah, we don't want to do over. No. Yeah. Totally disagree. I think that some teams are destined, but I think this is the Lions' year. You think so? You sound like a Lions fan to me. Well, my husband's from Detroit. Okay, well that will do it. My son growing up. Do you guys gamble here? <laughs> I was just going to bet it. We have a very sad I mean, you guys sure have a lot of fun. I just thought I'd ask. <laughs> I've never asked a congregation that question before. Okay. I'm a little giddy. I retired today. Today was my last day. 44 years. Huh? Oh, I had a couple parties. Yeah. All week, right? Well, no, my, my wife really surprised me uh, in October. She surprised me and threw one bed. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was a great one. Okay, well, let's pray and ask the Lord for direction. Lord, thank you for this wonderful church family here and uh, what you're doing in their congregation and their lives and truly your presence is here your joy is here in this family and we pray that this year will be a very fruitful year for View Creek and first and foremost that there be spiritual growth and people will be drawn to you more than last year and uh, secondarily that people would come more people would become, come here to have the same experience in you. So Lord, bless View Creek 2024. Give the leaders wisdom and uh, may it be an awesome uh, year for these people. And may you be glorified in it. Now help us tonight as we get into James and speak to our hearts clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're in James uh, chapter five again. Now last week, we talked about, um, we followed James in, in a couple of uh, uh, verses there about people that were playing God. These people that James wrote to were very disoriented. They were very angry. I think they were very angry at the Lord because they uh, had a lot of persecution. They were very, very frustrated. And you can see how he writes to them. He's addressing all these issues that they're waffling on. In this last one, he talked to them about not playing God because there was three things that he brought out to them 
in their disorientation and in their frustration with their spiritual walk, they were taking matters into their own hands rather than depending on the Lord. And so he talked to them about not playing God in terms of them judging each other. And what was his reasoning why they shouldn't judge? Lest you be judged, and there's only one lawgiver. There's only one judge, and you're not it. And if you do judge someone, what does it say will happen? You will be judged within the same degree that you judge. Exactly, within the same degree, the same measure that we judge other people. So that was the first thing he called them on, was they were playing God in terms of judging people about their faults. And James was very, very strong with them about that. And then we he talked, uh, we brought it up last week, the ability to play God in terms of planning our future, in terms of what we're going to do, where we're going to go, how long we're going to be there. And why is that inappropriate? Because it's okay to plan. What's inappropriate about that? Well, they were boasting about it. He used that word boast. And what did you say? Both of both of They were planning it in the details. They were cutting God out of the equation. And yes? There's also in the Bible it says, be careful for that which you pray, lest it be granted. Oh, yeah. So. Because if you're taking everything without including God and making your decisions, you can, okay, if that's what you want. I'll let you have it, yeah. but you may not find you too happy with it. That's right, that's right. So their will, by planning in that detail, or praying in that way, their will trumped God's will. It was about what they were going to do, what they wanted, but there's nothing wrong with planning as long as our hands are like this. Our plans are submitted to Him. You know? And then the other thing that they were uh, playing God in was the... Uh, and this was more of the unbelieving community, the harsh way that they were treating their farmers. So these were wealthy, rich people, and they were playing God with the way they made money, spent it, and stole it, stole it from their farmers. And James had some very stern words about them usurping the Lord. And I read a couple of uh, passages from the Old Testament about the intensity of God's desire that when people do a job, they're paid for it before the sun goes down. Yes. We just talked about greed and hanging on to it to make an interest or whatever. And a worker's worth his A worker's worthy of his wage. And the Lord's really serious about that. So now James kind of switches over and he's going to talk about being patient in suffering and prayerful in sickness or problems. And so why don't we just begin in verse 7 where he starts, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Stop right there. Now, anytime you hear the word or read the word therefore in the Bible, what does it mean? Or what should you ask? What's it there for? So, therefore 
is either connecting you to something already said or something that it's going to say. In this case, James is talking about a group of wealthy people who were abusing the saints. They weren't paying them a just wage. They were stealing for them, from them. Probably some of the workers were their slaves. I'm sure there was a lot of abuse that was worse than that. And so James is saying to his people, if you're in a scenario where you are being mistreated, abused, not taken care of, misrepresented, lied about, cheated to, cheated about, long, long list like this. He says if that's where you've been, in a very unjust situation or relationship, be patient. That's what he's saying. He's saying, be patient, therefore, therefore meaning everything that he mentioned right before that. All of the mistreatment, all of the poverty caused. So think about anyone in your life who has ever um, mistreated you, misrepresented you, lied about you, was not honest with you, kicked you to the curb, we all have had that off and on. So you just think about those scenarios, and it's the same thing. James is saying, so be patient, be patient until the coming of the Lord. So what he's saying is, God will vindicate you. Now, as I was studying, I'm thinking about very unjust things that have happened to me in my life, divorce probably being the, one of the bigger ones and how that all happened, but all through the years, all through our Christian walk, being misrepresented, being quoted over things I never said, and you know, the list is like this. What's another way of being um, abused or not taken care of or misrepresented? Anything. Specifics. Yeah, emotional abuse, physical abuse, people gossiping about you, lying about you, saying you said things that you never said, betraying you, not keeping their word, saying they never said what you said they said, and they really said it. Yes? Comparing. Comparing you to other people. We can get pretty petty. I think all of us can be pretty petty, but... But we're talking about a group, James is saying, these people that took advantage of you, they abused you and took advantage of you, you need to be patient, brothers, because the Lord is coming. Which means he will deal with them. Now, it just seems to me that it's really hard, it's hard for me, Especially if I feel battered by someone continually. It could be anything. Um, to want the desire to take it in my own hands. 
or confront. Now, the Lord does want us to stand up for ourselves. He does. When he says, turn the other cheek, he's not saying, smack them in the face. He's just saying, um, be gracious, but be very, very, very firm. Just You don't have to smack them. It's not about retaliation. That's what that verse means. It's not about retaliation. And it's not also about standing there and keep getting hit over. And, and it's over. also not about standing there and keep getting hit yeah. either. I mean, uh, Jesus was slapped, and so was Paul, and they, they confronted the person that did it. Even Christ did that. Why did you hit me? I didn't say anything wrong. So we should, if someone breaks into my house, they're going to wish they never did. That's the law, too. Just make sure if you shoot them, you push them outside the front door. They say, "No, no, he's inside." inside. inside. Oh, make sure he's inside. Oh, 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 I better get that right. Although I don't have a gun. Make sure he's dead, so he can't come back and sue you. Okay, so he's got to be inside. Inside and dead. Inside and dead. I remember that. You know, we're going to go, no, I don't own a gun. We're going to go on the road here now that we're retired. And I told Jenny the other night, my sister-in-law, her, her husband just bought her a little tiny gun like that. I could, now I, I need one of those. And my wife was knowing, you will blow your foot off before we leave. <laughs> just go and practice. Just, yeah, you that's right. So, but I'm going, no, 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 no. We're going to go up to places that, you know, we're going to be camping where we want to camp. And you never know who's out there. So maybe just a tiny one, just a tiny one. But I'll go through all of the, you know, processes. And yeah, get, get wasp spray. I have, we have bear spray. Well, wasp spray shoots like 30 feet and you can blind somebody with it. So wasp spray. Okay, so when I go home tonight, my wife's going to say, well, what did you talk about? With this and I'm going to say, they told me what kind of dangerous spray to get. When we get on the road, and yes. they all agree that I should have a gun. Yes. You know? yes. <laughs> we want to hear about Bill Gallagher getting shot camp in two weeks after he retired. Yeah, please, please. Yeah. It's very possible. Yes. At Millbrook, up in Prospect, uh, I was told that I could not bring a firearm in there, and I said, excuse me, I'm licensed to carry concealed. I spent years as a police officer. Yeah. If you think I'm dumb enough to come in here without the ability to protect me or my neighboring camper, fine, give me my money back and I'll leave. Yep. She said, oh, I'm sure glad somebody has the guts to stick them down. Oh my gosh. I said, I'm, so, I'm sorry. And that very night, this kid came in drunk swinging a machete back oh, I just happened to get up and look out the window and I thought, what am I seeing? Through his leg. Ooh. 
I'm not sharing that with my wife. <laughs> She'll say, see, I told you. What's that? Our daughter-in-law was at, um, at Seven Feathers playing on one of the slots. And this guy walked. Just recently. Just recently. As a matter of fact, it was just this last week. Right. He walked into the, the women's bathroom, and then he walked out of there and walked into the men's bathroom. Then he walked back into the women's bathroom. When he came out of the women's bathroom, he was stark naked. Went into the men's bathroom. Another gentleman went into the men's bathroom, and and then that guy that was naked came running out and back into the women's bathroom. This guy comes out and he had stabbed him in the neck. My daughter-in-law got it and put you know put pressure on it and stuff. And yeah, they had to come in and get him. That's the only reason he was in there was to kill somebody. And he went at seven feathers. Right? Oh yeah. So the, the the guy that was naked got stabbed in the neck. No, the guy that was naked was doing the stabbing. to know 
that God loves. Well, you think of people that, like hostages, or you think of people that have been trafficked, or people that are in, in being imprisoned. And that is the only that they have to hold on to. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that God knows. And, and, you know, we wish for a better answer than that, I think, sometimes. Like, we want to see justice now. My, my daughter, unfortunately, is going through a divorce. I might have mentioned it. She's been married. She's been an alcoholic for 22 years. And finally, he just crossed the line, and she's going through a divorce herself. Right now, 22 years of marriage, but he's been very abusive. And so on and so forth. And he, he's, he's spreading lies about her. He's uh, misrepresenting her. He's talking about her. And she's just so frustrated because it's not true. It's not true. And I told her what I'm telling you. I said, honey, sometimes as good as it gets is to just know that God knows. He knows the truth. And for some of us, that has to be good enough. We may not see vindication on this side of heaven. We may not see it. But God knows. And for his people, that has to be enough sometimes. You know what I mean? It's probably one of the harder things. But it's the most powerful truth. Okay, so he says, um, Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Now he's talking about the second coming. Then he uses an example. And this is a positive example of a farmer. The last examples we saw, they were hoarders and abusive. Now he uses an example of patience. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the latter rains. You also be patient. So three times in that phrase, he's telling his people to be patient. Now, the terrain in the Middle East, anybody ever been in the Middle East? Okay, the terrain in the Middle East, and I've never seen any terrain like it, ever. There are rocks and chunks of boulders everywhere. In the city streets, on the hillsides, in a green meadow. Everywhere you go, in Israel especially, you see big chunks of rocks everywhere you go. And so those that live in Israel are very agricultural. And so what James is saying to them is that they have to be very, very patient. They have to dig and plant through all of that rock and all of that difficulty. They had no irrigation. It gets very arid and hot in some areas in the Middle East. And so he's painting a picture of farmers that are so patient because they would see no growth at all after they planted the seed except for when the rains came early and late. Okay, so spring, December, whenever it is, then they finally got to see a little bit of growth. They had to be incredibly patient. Because they planted seed in rock hard ground and there was no irrigation. They depended on the rain. 
So they had to be very, very patient. So he goes, I want you to be as a believer because you're in rock hard situations that seem very arid and parched and difficult. By the way, one of the words for desert in the Old Testament means to teach. We learn in the desert. We learn in the wilderness. And so he's saying, just like those farmers wait and they wait and they wait and they trust, so I want you to be patient with the unjustness that you've had to go through. Now, now I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because I love landscaping. The, I only have one problem. I'm impatient with it. <laughs> so when I plant grass seed or bulbs, you know, you plant bulbs in November to get beautiful flowers in the spring. I sometimes, after they've been in the ground for a while, I'll go out and dig around and look at them every day. I'm not kidding. The bulbs? Even the bulbs. Well, well, I can see a little shoot coming out of the ground, but I want to, you know, for the bulbs that have not popped up yet, I'll just kind of dig around. Or grass seed. You throw the seed down, you put some mulch over the top, you keep them moist, you keep them damp. And I, I'll look out there and they say, well, the grass seed, the, the grass won't come up for 14 days, but I'm out there at day seven just to make sure. And I'm looking, 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 so I can be very impatient. Now, what area in your life do you think the Lord's calling you to be more patient in? An area that, not just looking at long seed, but that's very difficult and maybe isn't going away. Anybody? Politics. <laughs> oh. Yes, ma'am. Yes. So what else? Dieting. 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 Yeah. Well, we all have areas that the Lord's calling us to. And he's telling us to endure. Endure and wait. Endure and wait and trust. That's what he's telling us to do. In some areas, there's no quick fix. You say, Lord, why haven't you healed me of this yet? There's a reason. We'll talk about healing in a little bit. And so James goes on and he says, uh, so if, if, if you want a good lesson on patience, think of the farmers that plant, this is their livelihood, and they see no progress for months. And they trust that the rains will come, and when they come, they're rejoicing over the precious fruit that yields. So that's good news for us that are waiting. Our waiting will end up with precious fruit or some kind of blessing. In other words, it'll be worth it all. It'll be worth the wait. He continues. Um, you also, verse 8, you also be patient. So three times he tells them to be patient. I want you to take that hurt and even that frustration and I don't want you to act on it. I want you to trust me in it. Hold your tongue. Uh, when I went to Bible college in the Bay Area, 
our senior pastor at the church that time told me a really important lesson. He knew I was going to be a pastor. I was in their Bible college. and He uh, had some nice property in California, in Clear Lake, along the lake. And there was another pastor on staff then, just a kind of a part-time guy. He wasn't there long, but um, the senior pastor uh, uh, carried a loan for this family to go into this home. And the other pastor didn't pay him. He was carrying a loan, he didn't pay him. And I was a pretty young queer Christian, I was a Bible student. And I said, Pastor, what do you do about something like that? How do you handle something like that as a pastor or as, as a Christian? And he said, Bill, when someone cheats you like this, the best offense is silence. Silence. Just be silent. Go underground. And what happens in the heart of that person is they churn. And they don't forget it. And it works. So sometimes, after we've been mistreated or cheated or not paid, I mean, I'm not saying whip out because sometimes we do have to assert ourselves. There's a balance. There's a balance. But James is asking them not to retaliate. James is telling them to be patient and to wait on the Lord. And he tells them in verse 8 that they need to, very interesting word, they need to establish their hearts. He says, so be established. So I, won't, I don't want you to counterattack. I don't want you to um, pay back. I don't want you to uh, get bitter. I want you to establish yourself. In other words, what he's saying is support yourself with the truth that God is in control. Think about it. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, and with the analogy of the planting the seeds and stuff, one of the neatest families I know, and more than just one, are farmers. They enjoy everything. They get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, milk the cows, do all the work, they wait for the seeds to grow. They have good seasons. They have bad seasons. But bottom line, they have joy. It's and I think joy. that's the bottom line here. When you don't retaliate, when you you keep the Lord as the focus, the situation might be not the best, but you have the joy of the Lord yeah. in you that yeah. can't get stopped down. Yeah, and focus on your task at hand. Yeah. Don't get sidetracked. Yeah. Wouldn't that too, to me, it would be like to keep in that faith that it's all going to work out. Yes. Yeah, to establish yourself. In other words, it's prop yourself up, strengthen your hearts in the Lord's will, in what he's doing behind the scenes, and think about that. Quit rehearsing the hurts and feeling sorry for yourself. But strengthen yourself in the Lord. Now, the reason he's saying that is because the tendency, he, James is telling them not to strike back. And he's telling them to kind of suffer along with this. 
because the Lord will bring justice. So if you can't strike back, you can get frustrated. And when you get frustrated, you can get discouraged. And so James is saying, don't go down there. Trust the Lord. Vengeance is His. Don't be afraid to assert yourself because there comes a time for that. There really does. We're supposed to be Christians full of grace and truth. Truth speaks up. Grace forgives. The balance is very important. Matter of fact, Jesus was referred to as he came with grace and truth. He wasn't only gracious, he was very truthful. He turned the tables on the Pharisees. But the same one that turned the tables told us to turn the other cheek. So he did both. And we're to do both. So James is calling them to strengthen themselves in the Lord. Don't take matter in your own hands. And then he takes it a little further. Look at verse 9. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So what he's saying is don't retaliate. Don't take matters in your own hands. And don't grumble and complain about your situation. You know, Philippians, Paul says, put away all complaining and grumbling. And he's talking to believers. So, you know, well, that's for us. I've been complaining about my wife. I've been not feeling well for a few days, and I've been complaining to her. She's a nurse, you know, that's what I'm supposed to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I finally thought, you know what? I bet if I stop talking about it and, and just go, you know what? The Lord's working. There's a reason he's allowing this. Mm -hmm. I bet I'll stop complaining and grumbling. It's a way of changing our thinking, you know, focusing our thoughts. I call it heavenly focus. It's the heavenly focus. Heavenly focus, and that's why we stay until the coming of the Lord. Keep that heavenly focus. Yeah, that's right. Until the coming of the Lord. Now, this one in verse eight, he says, "You also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand." And he's not talking about the second coming there. He's talking about those of us that have been wronged. To look for the Lord to intervene in our situation. Now. Not at the second coming. The first time he said the Lord is coming. He was talking about the second coming. Because he's going to judge those evil greedy people. Now he's talking about those of us that are troubled. The Lord is at hand. He's aware of everything we're going through. And he's going to show up and intervene. The Lord's at hand. He's not far from our situation. That's what he's saying now. He's bringing encouragement. So don't grumble against each other. You know, we do that too. It's kind of like we're frustrated. We had a hard day, so we kick the cat. And then the cat runs in, and then, you know, we end up getting angry at all the wrong people, right? Then he says, as an example, here's another example. He gave an example of the farmer when he was talking about patience. Now he's going to give the ultimate example of someone in the scriptures that was the most patient, and that's Job. Look at it. As an example of suffering and patience, and who's a better example than Christ other than Job? Yeah. 
And he mentions the prophets above them too. The prophets, because the prophets preached and they were tormented. Some of them were killed. They were mocked. They were laughed at and they just kept preaching. They were patient. They just kept preaching the word of God despite what happened. Like Moses or Noah, he put that ark together. It took him 120 years to build that ark, build the ark. And people were marrying and getting drunk and intermarrying and living a wild life. And he just kept building that ark. I heard a, a sermon title one time, of course, of the rains came and they didn't know what rain was. Really hadn't rained on earth until that point. There was a mist in the garden, but they didn't have, they didn't experience rain. And it's pouring rain, it's flooding, and I heard a, a sermon title called uh, Scratching, The Scratching on the Door of the Ark. Once that door closes, it closes. It isn't open again. Anyhow, but Job, of all people, most patient, lost 10 kids in one night, lost all of his property in a very short time. What else happened to him? He got, he, he got boils from the soles of his feet, which means he probably couldn't walk very far, to the top of his head. Satan said to the Lord, the only reason he's following you is because you've been very good to him and you've provided for him. Yeah. Because Job still needed to learn more lessons, so he let the, his wife live. No, <laughs> no wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> now that's some good preaching there. That's some good preaching. Okay, false teachers. Okay, now. So let me. I got a quiz question. Job loses everything. He's got boils all over his body. He's lost his 10 kids, if you can imagine that. Now he's lost all of his property. And he is sitting on the ground with a broken piece of pottery, scratching his boils. And what happened next? His friends come. Nope. Wifey shows up. And she's not, she's not only not supportive, she's very unsupportive. And she, you know what she said? Curse, curse, God. curse God and die. Mm -hmm. That's why he kept her alive. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? They stayed married. And they ended up having another brood of kids. Doesn't say he got divorced or anything. So for those of you that have thought about that, you need to hang in there like Job. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that's that is true. No, no, oh yeah, she lost her ten kids. Yeah, there's no doubt. I'm not judging her. I'm just joking with you. That's probably not what he needed to hear at that time either. Okay, anyhow, so this man lost everything, 
And uh, until the end of the book of Job, when he's just asked God, where were you? And then God said, excuse me, where were you? Where were you when I threw the stars into heaven and you know, put the laugh in the hyena's voice? Where were you? And he went right down the list. And you know what uh, the Bible says, Job says after that? He said nothing. He put his hand over his mouth and was silent. Anyhow, the good thing about Job is that he was incredibly patient. Gosh, I don't know how he did it. And here's another thing. Okay, for those of us that are patient. So James says, what will happen for the farmer if they're patient? Precious fruit. Wonderful, sweet growth. Job lost everything, did not curse God, did not sin against God, and we read that Job's end was better than his beginning. He had daughters later in life, and the Bible says he, his end was actually more blessed than his beginning. So it's worth the wait for those of us. Okay, then he goes on. Um, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Patience, steadfastness. You've seen the, how the purpose of the Lord, we know the whole story. We see the end of Job. We have the aerial view. We got the whole story. We see what his end was. It was better than what he had before the crisis came. You could see that the Lord was compassionate and merciful. Don't you think he was closer to the Lord, too? I mean, oh, yeah. that's part of why he was yeah, how, how, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Like, how does anybody do this without the Lord? Mm -hmm. how, I mean, I what do you do? Now I see you. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. He says, but above all, my brother, so he doesn't want him to complain. He doesn't want him to retaliate. He doesn't want him to vent their anger. He doesn't want them to re, uh, uh, go against them or use their own tactics towards them. He wants them to trust. He wants them to get out of his way because he's the Avenger and know that he knows. Know that he knows. Then he says, but of all my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or any other oath but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. What he's saying there, uh, Swindoll says he's talking about someone that's like super spiritual. And they're acting as if, you know, everything's fine and everything's beautiful and the Lord's doing this in their life. They're kind of super spiritual. And he's saying, stop with all of the reasonings and all excuses. Just simply humble yourself before the Lord and let your yes be yes and your no be no. Knock it off with the phony spirituality. Just silently trust me and watch me work. Don't use this as an opportunity to boast about your pain. That's kind of what it means. But I like this last portion. It's about prayer and three different types of people that um, he addresses. And the people that he addresses other than one of them are really they're struggling. We're going to talk about divine healing here. Look at verse 13. 
First of all, I'll just mention the three people. He's talking about those who are suffering. That is, they're in complete despair and distress. Emotional, spiritual, physical, they're just suffering. Then, verse 14, he talks about those that are physically very, very sick. And then, in verse 13, he's talking about those that are cheerful, everything's going right. Okay, so he's talking about three different types of people. And he gives them very specific things that they should do if these things occur in their life. So first he addresses those who are suffering. That means any kind of emotional distress. It can be anxiety, relational dysfunction. There seems to be no answer for the problem that's long term. It won't go away. It just gets us down and discouraged after a while. Um, and he says, for the person that's suffering, three words. Let him pray. Pray about it. He already knows about it, but continue to pray about it. It's like in Luke, the lady, the widow that knocked on the door of the judge, and she kept knocking and he kept she kept knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking, and he finally said, and it's a lesson that Jesus taught that the judge was so exasperated he finally opened the door. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to continue to knock and ask the Lord when we feel moved to pray about something. We say, well, I already prayed about it many times. Well, there's probably a time when we should let something go in trust, and there's probably a time where we should pray in trust. Just ask the Lord to work on our behalf in that area. If we're distressed, if we're going through an especially, especially a hard time, uh, he doesn't guarantee necessarily healing in those times. But the prayer has something to do. The tone is to pray for endurance, patience, and strength for those who are trying to help us through our time. So you're distressed, we pray. Now, well, I'll get into that in a minute, okay? So that's what we're supposed to do. We're just supposed to simply pray Ask for prayer. Do you have a prayer chain in the church here that you guys do? You yes. do that? Yes. Uh -huh. Never to be too embarrassed. The body of Christ is powerful. Just pray. Very simple. That means he's accessible, by the way. 24 7, 365. Just pray. Say, Lord, I don't, sometimes you can even say, Lord, I don't know how to pray. I, I don't even know the words to say, and that's when the Bible says the Holy Spirit prays through us and for us according to God's will. Romans 8. Yeah, thank God for that. So just simply pray. Then he says those who are cheerful or joyful or are at one of those seasons in life where there's not a lot of stress and everything's going well, Kind of like what I'm looking forward to now that I'm retired, but I'm sure it won't happen. That's what, you know, I want some relief. If you're cheerful, don't feel guilty about it because other people aren't cheerful. Don't feel like, well, that just means the other shoe's going to drop. 
said that. I mean, every time Jenny and I have gotten a bonus or something, we've learned the hard way. I get a bonus. Let's say there's an $800 bonus. Guess what goes out the next day? $800 worth of tires. You know how many times that's happened? How many of you have had that? It's a, it's a total blessing, but, but I felt more blessed before I needed to use it for tires. I mean, I had other ideas for this $800. But then Jenny and I would go, look at what the Lord did. That's right. He gave you the money. Well, at least I was in a fantasy for at least six or seven hours before I knew I had to pay for the tires. But that, if you're joyful, sing praise. Don't second guess the Lord. Don't. Stop praising. He gives us a time to weep and he gives us a time to rejoice. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. What does he tell us to do with that in the body of Christ? You know? Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Don't rejoice with those who weep. Because Proverbs says you're singing songs to a heavy heart. Yeah. And it's, it's a grief. Makes their grief worse. So if you're joyful, sing. Okay, now he's talking about someone that's very, very sick. Is anyone among you sick? And he's referring to a serious sickness to the point of them being incapacitated. They can do very little for themselves. This is a severe sickness. It, Excuse me. Pray for those that are sick. But there's a certain thing that he says about how to go about this. Look what he says. If there's anyone sick, let him call. This is the sick person. If you're sick, let him call for the elders of the church and then pray over him. Notice he doesn't say... If anyone's sick, the elders in your pastor will automatically know that. And they'll automatically go to your house and pray for you because you're sick. James put the, puts the pressure on the person in the church that's sick. And says, if you really want your pastor to come pray for you, pick up your phone and call your pastor and ask them to come pray for you. Now, if we already know that you're sick through the prayer chain, then we will go pray for you and we'll call you. But if we don't know, you know how many people I've had grumble against me down through the years as a pastor because I didn't visit them when they were sick and I didn't even know about it? When James is saying, you call your pastor, and ask him to come. So anytime you hear someone complain here again about the pastor didn't visit me, and you know the pastor didn't know it, you tell them to pick up the phone, or they won't see their pastor, and it's not their pastor's fault, it's their fault. You know what I mean? We don't read minds. We gotta know. I was just talking to you back here. We were talking about this kind of the petty complaints that come sometimes about this kind of stuff. And just hey, man, you're sick. Let us know. We'll be right there. Yes. So what happens if you go? You follow all these instructions. You know, you get going in. You 
everybody's praying for yeah. you and you're still really sick. Yeah. And then you're so sick and you're, you're elderly and then you die. And you never got healed. Then what? Well, Hopefully you go to heaven. Yeah. Well, that's true. But then, but it says here you'll be healed. Well, there's in some instances you'll be healed. There's different types of healing. Yeah, yeah. That is, soul that, can be healed. Yeah, this is a, this is a good question. Yeah. The Lord doesn't always heal. Because we you know, know we all know this. Yeah, I mean, the, the inference. Well, I got to explain some words first in order for this to let's go. Let's continue on. Thank you for getting me there. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, we do this as tra at trail as pastors every Tuesday. There's, there's a staff meeting and a prayer meeting every Tuesday. And every Tuesday, people in our congregation know that they can come to us and we anoint them with oil and pray for them. Every single Tuesday. Okay. The only thing that's unique about this is that's the old-fashioned way of anointing with oil, but that's not necessarily exactly what James is referring to. He's actually referring... The word anoint them with oil is more like rub the oil into their body or massage it into their body. That's what the actual phrase means. Such as we read when the Good Samaritan was on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem and he saw a man being beaten. We read that he got off his donkey or the horse or whatever he was on and he poured oil into his wounds because there was a healing property in that oil apparently. So the actual sense for this is some kind of therapy, some kind of medicinal therapy. So if you're sick, you're to pray, but you're to pray in conjunction with therapy, medicine, oil was medicine, okay? We're to pray before the Lord with both therapy, medication, and faith. James is saying they should go hand in hand. Prayer and proper care or medicinal help. That's exactly what it means. You guys can look it up. So that's what he's saying. Now, I think the anointing of the oil also symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Oil always symbolizes the Holy Spirit. So it's not wrong to put oil on someone's head and pray that the Lord touches them. We have seen the Lord do that and heal people a few times. But that's not what he's really saying. Uh, oh, no, I don't would think it'd be holy, holy oil, but but he had an oil for a wound that seemed to have. When you guys do. Oh no, no, it's just regular. Oh, okay. So I mean, I do have holy oil. I went to Jerusalem, but I, you know. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Kind of like holy water. Kind of like holy water, yeah. Out of the Jordan River, I had that too. But, you know. My, in the you know down below it says in my Bible. The oil symbolizes the presence of God. The presence of God and also the power of the Holy Spirit. But in this particular passage, it also refers to um, 
Well, the word for anointing with oil is to massage into the skin. So it's medicinal and therapeutic. And so I can just tell you as a pastor that, that medicine, chiropractic, massage, surgeries, all of the above are in conjunction with prayer for healing. And the Lord works through that. Does that help a little bit? Yes. He really works with that. Now I got a great story I got to tell you before before we wind down here, um, because you know people all over the world, the globe, will travel continents to see faith healers. People that call themselves faith healers. There is no healing and no faith apart from what Christ gives. No man can create their faith and no man can create healing. It's only what Christ gives. He's the ultimate healer. But we have these faith healers and we've seen them all over the place. They drive me crazy. But when I was a young believer in San Francisco, there was this evangelist that also had faith healing capacities and he was in Oakland right across the bridge and so I went did I ever tell the story about my uh, uh, heartburn no. well you'll probably never forget it like the tuxedo story <laughs> anyhow so I go to this faith healing thing on two, uh, Saturday night and this guy's preaching away and he says at the end Okay, now I know the Lord's showing me that there, people have certain ailments and diseases. And as I call out your disease, you come up here to the platform. And there was a thousand people there. And so he said, someone here, it's a young man. Someone here has stomach problems and heartburn. The Lord is going to heal you. And he looked right at me. I go, He's talking to me. So I went up to the platform. And so I'm standing there with about 12 other people, and he comes by, and you know, he prays, touches my head, and he prays that God heals me and heals my problems, my stomach problems, and my heartburn, and he leaves. And I'm with a couple of my single friends then, and we went out to a nice restaurant afterwards. I guess I should call it a greasy spoon restaurant. <laughs> And I go, Lord, thank you for healing me. And I order the biggest, greasiest basket of French fries you've ever seen in your life. And I smothered it with ketchup. Because I'm healed now. And I went through that basket. And I had a heartburn for two days. <laughs> so... The Lord doesn't want us to be foolish either. Yeah. The Lord doesn't want us to test them either. I think ideally he wants us, medicine, common sense, and prayer seem to go together very well. Medicine, common sense, and prayer seem to be the, the thing that the Lord uses the most. Yeah. Can I share something? Yeah. Because I don't know, I, this, years ago, my oldest son, highly asthmatic from birth. Just came home from the hospital wheezing and poor little kid, bronchitis all the time and did 
the allergy shots and cleaned the house of everything. And I started going to beauty school. And anyway, this lady whose hair I was doing said, you've got a really sick boy at home. And I'm like, yeah. And she says, you need to take him to a chiropractor. And I'm like, he's got asthma. She says, no, you take him to a chiropractor. So I looked into it, took him to the chiropractor as a little four-year-old boy. And the chiropractor says, you know, it's so common in going through the birth canal for these little babies to have issues. And his second and third vertebrae were pinched. And did the adjustment, the kid is, what, 50 some odd years old now and hasn't had an asthma attack since. I was not a Christian and she was rumored to be the spiritual healer. And when I got her, all these ladies were telling me about her. But it, to me, it's hand in hand, and he's a pastor now. Well, Two, the Lord's hand was working with isn't that interesting? Knowing the future of what this kid was going to be. Yeah. It took a chiropractor. You know, and then they have that, you know, certain faiths, but it's wrong to go to a doctor. Mm -hmm. They're in prison today. You know, a lot of people that have not taken their child to doctors are in prison for the rest of their life because of it, because the child died. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's nothing spiritual about that. I'm, as a pastor, I'm very strong on it. People, you know, uh, have a clinical issue, you know, clinical depression, clinical anxiety means it's lifelong, and they have to be on medication. And you'd never know it, you know, but they need it to be normal, medication. And so I'm, I'm a proponent of medication if it's taken for the right purpose and the right ways, and yes. in some cases just temporarily. I had a physician one time and he said, uh, we were talking about antidepressants and he said, well, if you're clinically depressed, you'll probably be on them your whole life. But if it's circumstantial, which all of us get depressed circumstantially, whether it's a death or a divorce or anything huge, loss of a job, sometimes people are fragile and they have to go on antidepressants. But that's more circumstantial and you don't stay on those long. You just get through the dark hole and then the Lord brings you out of it, and then you stop taking them, you know. So anyhow. But the last verse I really like, I've shared this with many, many uh, men uh, that, that struggle. We, we used to have a ministry with men that were struggling with in pornography. And there was a group there, and uh, it was called James 5.16. This is, that's what our ministry is called, James 5.16. And this goes for any issue that's a, a, a repetitive sin in our life that we struggle with. But in this case, we call it James 5.16, where it says, therefore, so here's another therefore. Mm -hmm. So he's going back, he's talking about the prayer of faith, right? Mm -hmm. He's going back to those that are sick, those who are um, needing healing, those who are distressed and suffering, and he's still on the same theme. Therefore, I've told you what to do in prayer, medicinal, faith, call the leadership, lay hands on you, been very, very specific. And he says, now that we have that all in mind, there's another, there's another feature here for prayer that's very important. Look at verse 16. Therefore, 
confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So there's just something powerful in conclusion, something very powerful. And I'll, I'll finish these final verses when I come back the next time, and then we're gonna, I want to do a series on the life of Moses next time out of the Old Testament. But um, um, we can finish out this next session then. But there is something very, very potent when, especially when you have like secret sin or um, stuff that you carry, burdens that you carry, um, just a dark place in your life, you can be a Christian and have that. But there's something very, very powerful when you confess it to another brother or sister in Christ. Now, of course, I was raised Catholic, so I know that the Catholics use this to go to confession to a priest. He's not talking about that. He says, confess your sins, your faults to one another. Now, A, be sure you can trust the person you confess it to. Be sure that the Holy Spirit's leading you to confess it to that person. The person's got to be safe and spiritually healthy, you know. And pray for one another that may be healed. So this is my take on this. Sin grows in the dark. Unconfessed sin is in darkness and it grows. It's like mold that grows in the dark. But once you expose it to the light of confession before Christ, he frees you and forgives you and heals you of that sin. So confession is very, very important, especially if you're jammed up on the inside. And, you know, maybe it probably woman to woman, man to man, whatever, didn't say that, but um, I find that if you're locked up and you're really struggling with a lot of guilt and shame, talk to someone that's a mature believer. You can talk to a pastor too. And that prayer can be the first step to your healing. Guarantee. That's what James talked about. All right. Well, Lord, thank you for your word tonight. So much here to think about. So much here. Lord, for those of us, first of all, who have uh, felt really broken and betrayed over situations in our past, will you help us, Lord, to just trust you not to retaliate, not to stay bitter, not to keep talking about it with other people, but help us to do what James told us to do, to be patient, to know that, Lord, you are the one that avenges, you are the one that will, as the judge, only one to be the judge, to vindicate us from the wrong dones that have been done to us, and you're going to take care of that because we belong to you. Help us to release that hurt, release that anger and that bitterness to you tonight. It's too much for us to carry. So Lord, also help us to keep a control of our tongue and not complain and whine a lot. We know that we can get into our own little pity parties at times. And help us to just check ourselves. Help us to just stop and think about what we're doing and how ineffective that is and how it doesn't give us any answers. 
makes things worse. Just help us to think about that in the Lord. And uh, help us to remain steadfast. Help us to stay strong in our life of faith like Job did. And to be patient, to just wait. Wait for your goodness. Wait for your answer. Just trust that, Lord, in your plan and in your wisdom, we'll look back on that and know exactly why you allowed it to happen in our life. And then, Lord, for people that are sick here, we would pray for them tonight, too. Lord, that you would touch their body. That you would, you would lead them to the proper physician and the proper therapy and the proper medication and also acknowledge their faith in you to have the ability to heal, divinely heal, if it falls within your will and your time frame. So Lord, we commit our friends tonight that are ill with that need as well. And uh, Lord, help us to be sensitive to in these areas. And if we're going through a good time, Lord, help us to use our vocal cords to share our love and our gratefulness to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Blessed New Year to you. Yes. I'll see you on the 10th. See you next year. See you next year. <laughs> yeah. That's it. All right. Well, he got a stinger. The stinger but, but, from the other game. Yeah, I know. And then you kind of re Yeah, but they they said that